Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Hello, this is Annie for Showreel, and good morning to you. This is our little program about Australian focused film, and uh, you're on 3CR with uh, Annie on 855am or streaming or any of the other ways that you might be listening to this. And today I've got a bit of a treat because I had a chat with uh, a director, Michael Gosden, who's, uh, he and his mates have made a film called Watch the Sunset, which turns out to be a very, very interesting film, I'll have to say. It's only... uh, partially finished in the sense that it's been shot and it's been cut but it needs to be uh, finished it uh, needs to get the uh, uh, final framing color grade and sound score completed and so they are looking to get a ten thousand dollars to finish get them over the line apparently they've uh, had some interest from overseas it's a film about uh uh, ice and uh, its effect. It's been shot in Kerrang and uh, it's uh, quite a dramatic piece. It's 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 quite quite an effective uh, film, I'd have to say. Uh, and uh, we'll sh- after we have the chat with uh, Michael, uh, and I'm sure you'll be terribly enthusiastic. We'll we'll repeat. Uh, we'll tell you where you can uh, be part of helping them get over the line if you're in a position to do so. But otherwise you can just enjoy the chat and then wait with uh, bated breath for the release of Watch the Sunset. Okay. Now I'm pretty impressed with your film. I know it's only a rough cut and, uh, obviously you're trying to get people to be interested in, uh, supporting the last part of your, uh, film production, correct? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a overwhelming uh, display of generosity and donation through um, people donating their homes or locations or the actors donating their time and their skills. And uh, myself and the other director, Tristan Barr, along with the other producer and cinematographer, we've been funding as much as we can. But unfortunately, this last little bit where we know that if we're going to make this film as professional as it deserves to be, you need to be able to get it, um, yeah, absolutely smick as possible, as some people may say. So that's what we're working towards, and that's where the post-production costs are coming towards us at the moment. And, um, yeah, that's that's why we've begun this uh, crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, and uh, you need to get the framing, the colour grade, and the sound score 
to get it to the final stage. Now, as I said, I was really impressed, but before we get into the nitty-gritty of the actual film itself, how how did you find your uh, location, Kerrang? Kerrang is actually the hometown of our cinematographer and producer, Damien Lip. We started off um, probably, I'd say about March of 2015, where Tristan Bayer actually brought to um, Damien and I the skeleton and uh, like it was a good skeleton of the idea of what this film would be and as we started to develop it uh, Damien said this is a this sounds like Kerrang this sounds like it'd be great for that and so he and along with Tristan went out to Kerrang and had a look at a few different of the locations and we kind of found that we started to develop the story without intrinsically knowing that we were writing about Kerrang and the shape of Kerrang and everything like that. And so he went out there and a week before we actually turned up to talk to the town about uh, the film and um, more specifically the locations and the people that were in charge of those places, they had uh, organised a town meeting in regards to the effects of ice and about how it's affecting and really gorging through, scorching through without um, any understanding of it. And so we turn up a, a week later and we're talking about how we want to make a film that's about redemption and choices and about an undercurrent of ice. And so I think that there was this kind of serendipitous, uh, almost destiny in a way that we had to work towards that, yeah. Yeah, sort of finesse that went right through the town, I guess. So the whole town was behind yeah. this, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly right. So um, the we start off uh, in the car on the way into the town, and we actually go through eight different locations, and that involves a motel, a, a church, a, a primary school. Um, then we go to a gun range. Then we're back to the motel. Then we're inside a house, and then we're out into the back road of a farm. And what happened was we went around to each of these locations and it was never a question of maybe, it was always what can we do to help you. And so each and every single time, like the school that we went to uh, is actually where Damien went to school as a child. And also the young girl that is in our film, her name's Annabelle Williamson, who plays Joey, she is from that school and we held an audition at that school for the um, from the different local kids and yeah, she just shone and each and every single person really wanted to see what they could do. And if they couldn't do it, they'd find out a way to be able to make sure they could. It was, yeah, it was was unbelievable what they did to help us out. Um, How did you, what's your background in film? Because what I noticed, we should give people a bit of a background here, that uh, there's three people collaborated in the writing of the script and uh, yeah. you, the camera person is one of those people, uh, the two directors. The camera person is a director. You're an actor in the film. You're the direct, uh, director. <laughs> and uh, the um, female lead is the other collaborator, right? Exactly, exactly. As you uh, just uh, read, rattled off then, we all <laughs> That's much, right, um, a bit of a dance. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're definitely um, a bit uh, in-house in the way that we work, and... The way that we've worked in the past is we all met, um, so myself, Tristan, Chelsea, who plays the lead, uh, we all met at the Victorian College of the Arts where we studied acting. And we started to collaborate on different stories and different ideas, and then uh, it started to grow from there. And Damien 
actually met Tristan on a feature film that they um, did together. And so from that, it's just this natural progression where as soon as you find someone that you work so well with and also has a similar drive and initiative, it's never about defining yourself in a role. It's more about what can I do to be better, to be able to bring bigger stories out there and better stories. And so when it came to this, for instance, I had already written quite a few short stories and kind of directed and obviously acted in quite a few. And then Tristan had directed his own feature and um, had a few shorts under his belt and the same with Damien. And so we brought all that experience and then all of a sudden we're like, okay, we're going to do a complete one-take feature film after we started to develop this story. And so it was a natural progression of going towards Chelsea and saying to her, we would love for you to come on board. She's an amazing writer and also a very strong female presence and arguably one of the most uh, essential parts of this film, as um, you, you get to see. Well, everybody's so essential. Just... Everybody's essential. And uh, before you go yeah. on, the business about being a one-shot one film, a uh, one-shot uh, film, yeah, yeah, like like the grand, uh, what's the great Russian film where they, they run? Oh, the Russian arc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then of course the famous uh, scene in uh, uh, that did, uh, 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 um, the Niro, the the De Niro film where they have the punching punch out scene. You know when he was very, really oh, young. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yes, I know who you're talking about Martin Scorsese. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very famous one, and also Scorsese is very famous. Um, for the, oh, oh, now you put me on the spot, but the opening of um, uh, a film, a gangster film that he did, which is extremely famous and I'm very... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I know, I know, isn't it dreadful? But but that fantastic use of camera where you're oh. you're alive and, and moving with it and things are developing in front of your very eyes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Great fan. Almost, almost um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a thing where we didn't want to just do a one-shot feature film. We knew that that wouldn't stick. And, it, like, the audience of today is much too intelligent to just be able to get something thrown in front of them and they'll just clap. And so we knew that the only way to justify this was by we create the story and then the um, initiation of this should be done in one shot based on, like, the example of that Rob De Niro film, Russian Ark, uh, Boxing Day um, is an extremely big uh, motivation and inspiration for how we did that. That was... Um, oh, no, that's a great to... film. That's a great film. Yeah, and so if you, if you get a chance, any of your listeners get a chance to be able to see that, those films you'll see are all motivated by the action that's in front of them, and it's this complementary choreography or dance that happens between the the DOP, the camera guy, and the actors, and the scenery, and everything is so intrinsically important and delicate. If one falls out, then the whole building falls down. And so, yeah, a lot of those ones were very important to make sure that we um, we could justify not only to ourselves because we're so uh, we're so conscious of making a, a good story and a story that's important, but also making sure that our DOP doesn't trip over and then stuff up the entire thing. Well, that's right. That's that, I was got, that was my yeah. next question because, see, the practicalities. Uh, you're not the first actors that I've spoken to who have gone from acting in front of the camera to behind the camera. In fact, mm. it's almost this wonderful collaboration with creating the magic of a film, right, uh, where yeah, you yeah. want to do everything and you are... It's it's a new form, isn't it? It's It's a form where you are able to be in control 
of the result. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only speak personally from uh, how my progression occurred, and I feel like this could be very much similar to Tristan and uh, Chelsea in terms of her riding, and then of course Damien with the, uh, the with the camera. Um, a lot of a lot of the inspiration behind that is that you, you see a lot of films that are out there, and everyone's going to form an opinion about it. And the way that I saw things was, I was almost wondering why why things were occurring or more importantly why they weren't occurring and so i wanted to be able to as you said grab that control but more so be able to see for myself what if that did work and mm, experience what, what's it. the payoff at the end yeah yeah, yeah. and then it got to a point where people started to understand it and like i am by no means a, a, a cinematographer but i understand how someone can capture it um well and so the correct placement of someone inside their roles and that collaboration that works. Like, we wouldn't have asked Chelsea if she wasn't a great writer to come on board, that kind of idea. And I guess knowing what you can and can't do, and then if you if you can't do it, then understanding how you can translate that and uh, give the instructions on to the people that can do it. Like, that mm. that's the most exciting thing for me, the collaboration of it, yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say that uh, I was just talking to some people who m- made a film between films because actors just mm. have to wait, don't they? They have to wait for other people to come up with the goods well, before you can actually do something. Yeah, I remember uh, when I first got out of drama school, I got into um, Channel 9's Gallipoli, and I got myself a little uh, speaking role, and it was only a couple of lines. But I was there for probably about nine hours, and I got to say my six words or something <laughs> at the very end of the day. And even though I was completely grateful and uh, overwhelmed by the sheer size of that production, I was also like, oh, God, come on, wouldn't you do that? Let's do this. And I'd just be... I was actually more interested in the way the crew were working, and I think that's... Um, part of the seed that started to grow for me. So yes, waiting is a big factor of what we do as actors. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. You're on Showreel with Annie and uh, we're having a chat with Australian director and actor Michael Gostin who is uh, part of uh, a group of people who have made a film called Watch the Sunset. It hasn't quite finished so they're hoping to get uh, people to contribute to their crowdfunding for $10,000 to get it over the line. They have got interest from overseas so... Uh, and I must say that I've seen it, and even in its present form, it's an extremely interesting film. We'll finish uh, with uh, our little chat with uh, Michael. Now, let's go to the film. Uh, there's a couple of things that uh, shone for me, uh, clear clear decisions that you guys made, which were the way you uh, let the camera run in a kind of uh, poetic almost way, uh, you let it develop, the story develop. And the other thing that was very interesting to me was how close in everything was. Close oh, yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Were you conscious of that? 
Yeah, most definitely. We we shot on a uh, a camera called a, a GH4, and the the reason behind that is um, that can shoot in a thing called 4K RAW, and so essentially you have a whole bunch of really great quality to be able to work with, and. Uh, we we made conscious choices, especially in the outdoor scenes, to shoot um, not exactly far, far back, but far enough back to be able to make a choice later on in post where we can digitally zoom in to be able to pick it up and then come back. But when we're inside the car, where you see that most of the action happens, and that's obviously the between areas. And so every time you get into the car, it's actually a progression of the story. Something new has occurred and something more is happening. And... The stoic kind of um, reserved nature of what most Australians do, especially in the country, uh, which is why we also chose to uh, film it out in Kerrang, where this this is uh, this is an epidemic that's happening to a lot of people where they necessarily don't want to talk about it. And so the choice to be intimately close up, and as bad as this is to say, it's much more interesting to see someone have to try to deal with that internally and by being so close you get to see explicit detail of that and so when we were inside the car the, you will notice that there'll be a choice to either be behind and so it's much more physical it's much more tension filled when there's a two shot or when we decide to punch in it's like you can see it's leading up to a crescendo of breaking or if we allow three people to be in the scene for instance it's like which one is actually controlling our scene all these choices were something that we are uh, we um, had a lot of pain over in the decision-making process because we did have a, a five-week rehearsal period in the lead-up where a lot of these uh, discussions were made, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's, a, that's very interesting to me. Uh, how long was the shoot itself once you'd done, done all that preparation? Uh, so in the lead-up, so we definitely had a lot of... Uh, I think we had about four or five months of development. Uh, we got our actors on board quite quickly, um, knowing that... One, we were almost subconsciously writing for these people, and two, we need them to be on board early in order to be able to get the progression of, okay, this, and then like baby steps, kind of growing how it's going to go. And then we had the five week of um, rehearsals that I just spoke about before. And then on the actual week, the first day, which was a Monday, we gave ourselves four days to be able to uh, capture the entire thing. The Monday, was the very first time we had everything in place. So we're talking about the actors, we're talking about all the sound, the lighting, uh, the extras, the makeup. Um, our makeup department had to run between different locations during scenes in order to be able to set up certain, uh, like if there were bruises or blood or whatever it may be, the sound guy had to be able to chase it. And so everything was a slow rehearsal leading up to that first day. And we gave ourselves four days to be able to capture it. And something that we all spoke about quite a bit was that if we didn't capture it, we would just give ourselves a month, realign it, and then come back and try it again. Because there's there's an easy way to be able to talk about how you can you can fake the one shot, um, and that's fine. Like uh, Birdman's a great example of being able to manipulate that and progress through it. Uh, Boxing Day was a great example of being able to walk through hallways and you still get the complete feel of what's happening um, while there are cuts that actually occur in there. Uh, But for us, we knew that there was really no choice but to continue going because we didn't want the actual 
the actual because uh, you're building up a, a rhythm, a tone that's happening within the film, all leading up to that final bit. And then if you don't get that um, by cutting, uh, yeah, we were just coming back, and so we gave ourselves four days, and luckily we got it on the third and the fourth day. Oh well, now I have to ask you. I noticed that the uh, stunt was done by a relative of the camera person. Uh, oh yes. Tell yeah, me about yeah. the stunt because that was pretty big stunt, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I thought it was a pretty big stunt. To, yeah, you'd be pleased to know that quite a lot of that stuff, uh, which we would be, I'd be remiss to give away all oh, our yeah. all our secrets straight up, and so it's important to know that. But um, we had a lot of uh, a lot of help from Damien's family, the Lip family. The Lip family, yeah. The Lip family, L I P P, and so. Yeah. Uh, there's Margie, which was the mum, and she... She, she provided uh, the she food, right? Us. Yeah. She provided all the food for us, which is just uh, to die for. It's making me um, my mouth water right now. And then uh, Damien's father, um, Alfie, he actually... Uh, they own a little bit of um, farming equipment out there in the town, and so he was able to provide us with crane shots and a few different uh, of the cars that you see in the film, and so... Yeah, he was quite closely involved to be able to <laughs> make sure that we got what we needed, but also he was the, I'd say he was the smart, wise one to make sure, hang on, maybe you don't do that, you do this instead. <laughs> yeah, you so, might yeah. kill yourself. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was very good that he was there to help us, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, well, I'm actually really impressed, and, I, and apparently other people are impressed too, because you've had interest from overseas. Yeah, we've had a, um, a fair bit, because... It was actually uh, Damien and Tristan uh, went over to America in the start of November of last year, 2015, to go to a thing called the American Film Market. And it was through that that we made quite a few connections in terms of people that might be interested in everything like that. And that was actually the first time that we got a reaction from the industry about what this film was. That was the first time that we actually presented any of the footage or the pictures or um, even even a, a piece of the film itself. And through that, that first uh, two weeks of meeting, it's been this uh, very quick snowballing effect where people have been jumping on board. So there's, we're in this uh, interesting stage at the moment where we are asking um, on our knees uh, for generous donations to our cultural fund campaign. But there's also a bit of interest that's coming later on from uh, distribution companies, and that's also exciting because that means that this film will be able to go out into uh, a bigger audience than anything that we could ever provide in our um, you know, most humble way. And so yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit of groundswell at the moment and we're, um, we're interested to see what's going to happen over the next couple of months with that. So before uh, we let you go, tell us how people can be helpful to you financially. There so far has been a lot of really beautiful people that have helped us so far in order to be able to get to the 46% of what our campaign is asking for. We're looking for $10,000 to be able to get us over the line. And we're currently going through the Australian Cultural Fund. Now, that's a a non-for-profit organisation that works wholeheartedly with artists and anyone that wants to donate to the arts and it gives a direct line between the two. And so... We don't necessarily have to fight for anyone that's trying to make a tuna sandwich, for instance, and needs five bucks. <laughs> and so we don't get lost in the um, in the, the plethora of what crowdfunding campaign can be. And the best thing through the Australian Cultural Fund 
is that every donation over two dollars gets a, is completely tax deductible for anyone that um, that affects. But if you go to the Australian Cultural Fund you'll see in the top right hand corner there's a little search bar, and in there you can type in "Watch the Sunset," and that'll be able to take you directly to our uh, our little campaign page. And um, yeah, you can donate through that. Well, thank you very much and uh, for telling us about this. I'm pretty impressed and uh, I uh, hope that uh, people get out their um, money and help you with the last bit. But I don't think you will have any trouble because it really is a very, very interesting film. Thank you very much. And yeah, we're, we've been really blessed with a lot of people that have been uh, quite enthusiastic and uh, yeah, it's all very reaffirming, especially talking to yourself. So I appreciate the time. Thanks, mate. No worries. Bye. Okay, that's it for Showreel this week. And we've been listening to a conversation that I had with Australian director and actor Michael Gostin. He and his uh, crew have made a film called Watch the Sunset. It's about a very topical subject, which is uh, ice in country towns in Australia. And uh, it's a very dramatic piece of uh, filmmaking. It's a, it's quite effective, very effective. I think it's a, a pretty interesting film and uh, worth a person uh, helping out to get them over the line, $10,000 crowdfunding, at uh, australianculturalfund.org.au if you're in a position to help them out, australianculturalfund.org.au. But as I said, if you're not, just uh, keep your ears out for when it does get completed and then does get its release because it is actually a very interesting film. It's nice to see uh, the... uh, Creative juices are flowing in amongst Australian filmmakers, young and old. Uh, That's it for uh, Showreel. Uh, You'll hear from me next week. uh, We're going to go out with a very groovy number called Love Me Like I Love You by The Wagons. And uh, coming up next is Published or Not. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.